This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. All right, guys, episode 36 of the Louisiana Bowhunter podcast. We're on the phone with Brian Chamberlain and, as always, Locke Wheeler. Guys, thanks for joining us this evening. Yep, good to be here. Yes, sir. Well, um, we've got uh, – we've been trying to think of a good pod- podcast topic to come out with, and uh, we we don't want to be too heavily weighted on the success side. Like, we don't want to continue to put out this – uh, belief that there's people better than you at bow hunting and everybody we talk to is really good at it and everybody we talk to doesn't ever make a mistake so this whole podcast is going to be about how we've all screwed up and hard lessons learned um, Brian's got one that kind of prompted this he had a a, a foo bar in Illinois over the weekend um, Locke's got some examples I've got some examples and hopefully it'll get you thinking uh, next time you leave your truck or the next time you go in the woods, um, you'll be more prepared to where you won't experience the same hardships that we did. So, um, so before, before we kick off, uh, this week's episode is brought to you by Gator Coolers out of Shriver, Louisiana. If you haven't been at Gator's website lately, uh, it's GatorCoolers.com. Check out their customized cooler lids, laser engraved camp cups, Excellent Christmas gifts for corporations, customers, giveaways, your employees. Check out GatorCoolers.com and get on the list for the custom lid program as well as laser engraved camp cups. You don't want to miss this. A fantastic Christmas present for anyone in your life. So y'all be sure to check them out at GatorCoolers.com, GatorCoolers.com. All right, so Brian, give us a little bit of backstory on you. How long have you been bow hunting? 
this is uh this is my fourth year uh bow hunting so i grew up i grew up hunting you know dove hunting rabbit hunting stuff like that but i never hunted big game until four years ago my wife's family introduced me to uh to deer hunting on their property down in braithwaite and uh i shot my first deer with a rifle and you know watched some bow hunting videos went and bought a bow and fell in love with it and that's that's basically where it started and and what it's all been about you know ever since now you're not originally from louisiana where are you from uh california uh was born in in san diego but grew up in the fresno area in california and then left california and headed out to dallas for about 12 years and then met my wife um on a business trip in baton rouge um she's from the chalmette area you know just uh in the new orleans area i guess and uh and uh, did the long distance thing, and then she drove me to Louisiana, and, and here I am. Now I can't imagine uh, a, a, a more polar opposite place than California, being <laughs> Braithwaite, Louisiana. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually think about that a lot. Like, how the hell did I? I mean, my path led me here. But, yeah. You know, it works out good. That's awesome. So, so you've got some family land down there. I think you said, um, don't you have some family land like north of Baton Rouge also? Um, not not family land, but I have access to some property um, that that a friend, my old neighbor in Baton Rouge, actually his dad owned it and he gave me permission to hunt it. That's great. I've been looking for a friend that has per- permission to hunt some property <laughs> in north Baton Rouge. Um, I haven't had one of those neighbors yet. Yeah, exactly. Where do you where do you buy those neighbors at? Where do you find those ones? Um, Mail ordered. Yeah. So, um, so you've been bow hunting for four years, and and so it's safe to say you didn't you didn't hunt at all before you came to Louisiana, right? Not not big game, just like dove and, and rabbits and stuff like that, squirrels. So, um, on a scale of one to ten, if you had to rank yourself at bow hunting, ten being like Cameron Haynes, one right. being uh, like a fourth grader in re, you know, in PE shooting yeah. a bow, where would you rank yeah. yourself in terms of uh, bow hunting in effort, probably like a six or a seven in you know, reality as a, as a bow hunter that you know, has learned all the lessons, I would say probably a five. Gotcha. So, um, you've heard us say before on the podcast that bow hunting isn't something you ever get good at. It's something you just get less bad at. And, um, we don't talk about that enough. And that's kind of what prompted this, this, uh, topic for us tonight is, um, you know, I'm a man's man. I can admit when I'm wrong. I don't care. Locks a guy. You're a guy. We're all pretty much alpha males that we could easily say, Oh no, I don't do any wrong. I'm, I'm perfect. And nobody would, I guess you could say, um, uh, battle that, but you did something, I think it was today that uh, I have a lot of respect for, which is you came out in the Louisiana bowhunter community and you said, I effed up. Like, I screwed this up. It was all my fault. It was all, like, you, you'll even admit it was lack of poor planning that led to a bad situation with your bow and then another worse situation with a deer. Let's start with that, where this whole podcast is going to be, hey, don't be me. Don't do what yeah. I did, right? So yep. tell us that story. Yeah, so... You know, I, I, I'll, I'll back up just a little bit. You know, at the beginning of October, I decided, you know what, I'm going to pay an outfitter. I'm going to go stay up there uh, 
at their place and, and have a have a uh, guide take me out and had a good time. I saw you know some giant deer, nothing within bow range. I saw some you know two and a half year old you know eight points that were I'd be ecstatic to shoot you know down here and and, and so this is all happening in Pike County, Illinois. And um, you know I went through five days and and didn't get a shot at anything. Um, and so I still had a tag in my pocket. So. I talked to a couple buddies of mine and see if they, they'd be willing to go back up there for a long weekend with me to hunt some public land. And, and we did that. So we drove up on Thursday and, uh, and we talked to a couple biologists, try to try to figure out some places to go. And, uh, you know, first couple of days there, we, we were, we were packing in, you know, a mile and a half or so, um, and, and setting up and pulling the stands out and, and then doing the same thing, you know, getting up at four in the morning, doing it in the morning, doing it in the evening. And uh, we had a couple spots picked out that we were, we were trying out and then doing some scouting, you know, after our morning hunts. And I found a, a spot that was basically kind of like a, uh, I guess, a, a pinch point between a creek and kind of, I don't want to say a mountain, but the closest thing to a mountain that you're going to get in Illinois. It's just a like a, a flat spot that's about 100 yards wide and probably 500 yards long. It's just full of oaks, and I could see you know trails coming out of that that mountain. I knew there was some bedding up there, and going across that creek over into some ag property on the other side of the creek, and uh, and then I could see trails that were that were uh, you know long ways where it looks like you know cruising trails where they're they're crossing all those does coming out of bedding, trying to see if anything's in estrus is is the thought process anyway. So. I set up and, uh, and, you know, didn't see a deer. I've said about three o'clock. I didn't see a deer for about an hour and a half. And a, and a, a doe came down and she looked, it was an old doe. She came down out of the woods and, and, and you know, I said, you know, she gives me a shot. I'm going to go ahead and take her, even though I'm way back here. And I know my buddy's going to be a little pissed at me that I got to drag this thing out. But um, so I shot her and, uh, you know, she ran up the hill and then she backpedaled and, and fell over in sight. And, uh, you know, so I was feeling pretty good about that. But the one thing that I did is, as we came out there, I forgot my rope to pull up my bow. So I tossed my climbing sticks. I put my lock on in the in the tree. I came down. I grabbed my bow, and I basically bear hugged the tree with one arm and held my bow in the other arm and shimmied up the tree, got my lock on, and I hunted that way. Well, afterwards i'm on my way down and i'm probably about halfway down and there's a limb sticking out and it's in the dark now and uh it catches my bow knocks it out of my hand and my bow falls to the ground and so i climb down and i'm going look at my bow and i notice that my arrows the the fletchings up to the fletching my arrows are broken at the bottom they stick out a little further than my cam does and so i uh i uh i just you know set my bow to the side pulled my stand down got everything packed up went up and grabbed that doe and uh, gutted her and actually used my harness um clipped it through her achilles um and uh used my harness to drag her out of there dragged her out and uh you know had a pretty long drag out and tired and went home put everything away got up the next morning hunted didn't see anything um went and tried out a new spot um in the afternoon and as I'm walking in, there's an eight point, a small, probably two and a half year old eight point out in the sunflowers. I guess they're eating sunflowers. I think they planted some brassica and stuff that, you know, the, it's public land, but they had planted some stuff out there. And he runs off and I go in and I, I set up my stand and get ready to go. And it's pouring rain. It's probably like 40 degrees and the wind's blowing probably 15 miles an hour. So it wasn't real comfortable, but I can see at the point of this little field, that there's a road that comes out of the wood, a grass road, and then there's a bunch of trails that are coming in and out of the woods where I could tell deer are coming out to feed. And so I set up in a tree 
get set to go and I'm tucked in there. I got good cover and everything. And you know, I'm playing on my phone and, and, uh, I'm actually kind of shivering cause it's starting to get cold and I'm getting wet. And, um, and I looked through the trees and I could see off to my left around the corner, the body of a deer. And so I back up and to where I can get a look at the head and, and it's a deer that's just sitting there staring out in the field, just checking everything for like 15 minutes. It's an, an eight point, probably a, I don't know, two and a half, three and a half year old deer, but you know, pretty nice rack. I would have been excited to shoot him had he walked in front of me. So I'm waiting for him to, to come out and he finally comes out and starts to feed. And he's about 67 yards away when I ranged him and he's feeding straight out into the field. So kind of away from me. And all of a sudden I catch movement and there's a giant deer and giant for me, you know, 140 plus inch, you know, 10 point behind him that walks out directly behind him and starts to feed towards me. And in my mind at this point, I'm thinking, you know, this is like, <laughs> this was meant to be, you know, like I, this is about to happen. So it's not, not that I assumed that it was just going to happen, but it just seemed like everything was perfect. Everything came together. This deer's about to walk out of 40 yards and I've been practicing a ton, 40 yards, 50 yards, 43 yards, 47 yards, 38. I'm just trying not to get stuck at just the 20, 30, 40. And, um, and he comes out and at the point where he's the closest to me at the angle that he's walking before he starts to get further away, I stop him. I draw my bow back and I stop him. And as I'm looking through my sight, I know, I feel like there's something like there's something odd about my sight, but I don't realize what it is. My 40 yard pin is a red dot where the others are, are green dots. I put that 40 yard pin on him. He was at 43 yards when I ranged him. I put that dot right on him. And I let it fly and I fully expected to hear that pop and nothing happened. No mm. idea where that arrow, where that arrow went. And so he runs out another 15 years, turns around and looks back at me. At this point, I can see, you know, how, how wide he is outside of his ears. I mean, just a beautiful buck. And I look down at my sight. My 20 yard pin is missing. My 30 yard pin is bent down. My 40 yard pin is bent down. My 50 and my 60 are straight. I'm shooting a five pin sight. Um, and so I range him at 53 yards, knock another arrow, pull it back. And it's windy. It's rainy. And I let it fly. And I hear it hit. And he limps off. He's running, but he's kind of, you could tell he's not running normal. And drops off into the woods. And so I sit for another half hour, 45 minutes, trying to text my buddies. Um, finally get them. I go out and meet them. We come back in quietly looking for arrow. We find my arrow and my arrows broke off just outside the wood line. I go and compare it to my other arrows and there's hardly any penetration at all. And so basically the assumption is that it's a shoulder shot. Didn't get any penetration. We looked and looked and looked, never found that deer. And so I never checked my sights after I dropped my bow. I never checked uh, you know, my pins. Uh, the first time that I noticed that there was anything wrong is after I'd missed the deer of my life. Mm. It's a, uh, it's a gut wrenching feeling, right? Yep. Yep. Well, uh, I mean, so do you feel confident that he's still alive? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't think that, uh, it, it, the only thing that I can think of is that I hit that shoulder. Um, just because like literally it's probably, you know, two to three inches of, of penetration. Um, and it's raining so hard. There's no way as far as blood goes, you know, there's, I'm not going to go in there tromping after him 20 minutes after, you know, I shot him. 
with an arrow with that just that little penetration sure um so we just had to basically kind of grid search the next morning just let them sit overnight and hope for the best but there's when i looked everywhere in there and i I didn't find him anywhere i don't think that uh, i think that he's he's fine so um tell us about tell us about your setup what what are you shooting what arrows are you shooting what broadheads yeah so i'm shooting a, a vertex matthews vertex um and then uh i'm shooting the uh carbon express maxima reds and uh, rocket steelheads i shoot those rocket steelheads it's funny i shoot them because of the penetration factor and uh i didn't work out at 53 yards you know but i mean at 53 yards on a, on a big deer like that if i hit that shoulder i don't know if there's much that would yeah you know, no that's, penetrate that. that's um a 70 pound bow yeah 70 pound draw yeah 30 or 70 pound bow and 30 inch draw you have any idea what your arrows weigh you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't. I uh, I don't. I buy them. I cut them to lengths. I leave the same fletchings on them that that they come with, and uh, and I put on a screw on a, a rocket steel head and mm-hmm. and let them fly. Go to town. Um, I'm just I'm just asking because I think a lot of people might be thinking right now, you know, comparing your setup to theirs. Right. Um, I uh, I'm I'm currently I'm waiting on some arrows to come in. Uh, that I ordered from American Hunter. I'm I'm, um, I'm swi- switching away from um, gold tip velocities. Um, uh-huh. You know they're they're very light arrows. I shoot the 340s, and I want to say they're um, like 7.8 grains grains per inch or something like that. I'm under 400 grains, like total total weight. Um, right. I I like a light arrow mainly for trajectory reasons. But the problem is, is they're very thin walled and they snap. I I mean mm-hmm. I break probably sixty seventy percent of them. Um, you know if they if they get a pass through and it's got, I don't know. Sometimes they'll snap on a pass through. I had a deer step on one once and broke it <laughs> after he, after he ran through it. She stepped on it on the way out and it snapped. And I was like, Ugh. okay. Um, I mean you could literally you could see where it was crushed. Uh, from her foot after she stepped on it. But um, anyway, um, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything that would really blow through that. Um, that it's a hard shot, man. I, I'm shooting FMJs right now while I wait right. for my my um, my Black Eagle carnivores to come in because I'm going to give those a shot. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, an FMJ in the shoulder, I think that would probably push through it. But that's yeah, a good I think. I think you probably hit her or him maybe actually more forward in the shoulder and maybe even a little bit lower than you think, kind of where that, the top of that leg is. Mm-hmm. Right. You got harder, you got harder bone there. I mean, if, yeah. if you'd have hit it square in the shoulder, mm-hmm. you know, you probably would have pushed through. Pushed through. So you may have actually pushed through a little bit more than you think because mm-hmm. I, I, have, I have a buddy uh, that, that, actually killed his first deer with a bow last week mm-hmm. and it was a doe but he hit it square through the shoulder blade and it it mm-hmm. you know it the smaller deer and and whatnot and it went on in you know probably 10 inches and then mm-hmm. hit the offside shoulder and then backed out when she took off running but what i'm getting to is you know because of that shoulder blade and that penetration through the shoulder blade there was no blood for a long ways because the gotcha. it, you know the blood's all in there behind, tucked in there behind all that shoulder blade and everything. Right. And, um, you know, that arrow could have pushed in without leaving a lot of sign of penetration. It could have. Right. Not, I don't want to make you feel bad about the fact that you may have done more damage than you think. But, right. 
you know, it's not an unknown. There's so many things that could have happened. So yeah. So what's what are what's the lessons learned, Brian? What can people learn well, from this? I think the the first lesson is, and, and there's you know some of the comments on the on the post that you know were were obvious, you know, um, obvious lessons, you know, having your your rope or a sling or something like that where you're not climbing up and down a tree. You know, holding a bow in one hand, a for safety reasons. You know, <laughs> you take a tumble real easily doing that. But, but also, you know, just having your your pull rope with you is 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 one thing. But I think the bigger lesson, the more obvious thing that I should have done, and I I really for the life of me, like didn't I, I normally think I would have. I don't know if I was just caught up in having to drag this doe a long way or whatever it is. But I guess slowing down and. uh and taking a look at my at my equipment after I knew that I just dropped it, you know, 10, 12 feet from a tree, if I'd have taken a quick look, you know, that next day I'd have been at the bow shop and I probably would have had 140 plus inch 10 point, you know, here at my house right now staring at the horns. Yeah. Um, um, well, you know, admitting admitting that, you know, you did, you know what you did wrong, you know how linear it was back to the problem. Um, it, I mean, it takes a lot to admit that, you know, one of the things Locke and I talked about was like, how many people do we know in our life that would have gone to Illinois, gone through that exact same situation, shot a doe, lost a buck of maybe a buck of a lifetime, a buck of a year and come home and only said, yeah, had a great hunt, shot a doe, right. never, never admit fault, never have enough humility to say, you know what? I made a mistake learn from this. Um, and, uh, you know, for that, I have a lot of respect for you. It, should, you know, it tells me how secure you are. And, um, and also the fact that you're, you know, you can, I don't want to say admit when you're wrong, but when you say something like that in the Louisiana Bowhunter community, there are people watching and reading that and seeing that story. And they're like, man, I've done that. Like, this is what right. could have happened to me. Maybe in their hunt, they forgot their pull-up rope and they didn't see anything. So it was unconsequential, right? There was, right. You know, but, yep. but, you know, not to pour salt in the wound, but like, God bless, man, you had a great deer and mm-hmm. because of one simple mistake, no pull up yep. rope, a series of events happened. Now, yep. if, if we go even further with that, um, you, you know, what, I guess another question I have is, is like when you're manhandling a bow up a tree, first of all, that's very dangerous. I don't, I don't mean to tell you that right. like, as from a yep. lecture, but right. you know, that, that puts you at risk. Right. Um, I'll tell you something that I have on my safety harness, uh, as a backup. Um, I took a piece of three eighths am steel and I made a lanyard extension. Um, it's about a foot and a half long. It's about 18 inches. And, um, I did the whole like uh, double eye thing where it's, you know, it's 18 inch extension of am steel off of the end of my lanyard. Mm-hmm. The reason why I did that was because if I ever have to climb up a tree disconnected, quote unquote, with my climbing sticks, I will loop that around the top of my climbing stick that I'm on or the one above me. Or as I'm climbing down, I'll loop it, I'll climb down, I'll disconnect it, I'll put on the next climbing stick down. And I've thankfully, knock on wood, never fallen. But um, mm-hmm. with the strength of am steel, the strength of the harness, I think that would help the fall. Right. Uh, at least that's what I convinced myself. And it's right. certainly better than nothing. Um, yep. But uh, it's it's very, I will admit, just a little side topic, it's difficult when putting up lock-on sticks 
um, sorry, lock-ons and climbing sticks, it's difficult to stay connected all the time. Um, because when you disconnect your lineman's belt to make, make the next step up to the next stick, how are you connected? You almost have to have two lineman's belts. Of course, this is on a mobile setup. You know, if you've got a permanent setup, you can have a a lifeline, but, um, you know, it, it could have been worse. You could have fallen. You could have hurt yourself. You know, um, uh, I, I said something and I even told you, I rewrote it because I didn't want to sound like I was lecturing you on my comment, but that's the exact reason why I have two pull up ropes in my bag because I find myself every year hunting from two stands quite often. I'll leave a lock on stand somewhere for a day or two. And then if the wind shifts and I can't hunt that spot, I'll leave it. But if I want to hunt a different spot, I'll grab a climber and lo and behold, I'll get to this tree and I don't have a a pull-up rope because I left it with my lock-on stand. So I always have two. I just make them out of paracord because I feel like I eat these things for lunch. I feel like I, like, I feel like they're part of my diet is eating pull-up ropes (laughs) because I don't know where they go. I lose them all. Um, but, um, anyway, that's, you know, I, I appreciate you sharing that story. I'm very sorry that that happened. Um, you know, sounds like your deer's still alive. I hope he is. Um, yeah, me too. But um, let me. So, in, in any other hard lessons separate from that that you can share with us before we go to Locke and I, me? You know, I, I, I mean, I've got a, I've got a couple, and in, in, in these last, if I'm honest, right now I'm a little bit frustrated <laughs> because you know, I feel like I put in a lot of effort um, into hunting. Probably maybe too much sometimes. Maybe that's part of the problem is, you know, I'm always wanting to go to the furthest place and try to find the place nobody goes or, um, or hunt more than maybe, you know, my wife, you know, wants, which maybe a lot of people do that, but, you know, I, I, I get out there and I hunt a lot. Um, and, uh, in the last couple of years, like last year, I didn't shoot a buck last year. Um, and I didn't shoot a buck last year because I hunted one buck all year long and I had two opportunities at that buck. Um, and I don't know that there's anything that I could have done different. I think, you know, I talked to you about this, I think at the end of last year, the, end of the season. Um, but, uh, you know, just, I've had an opportunity where, you know, once maybe I just, you know, drew my bow back too quickly as opposed to waiting for him, you know, the right moment for him to turn his head and then draw back and got caught mm-hmm. the other time, you know, he's right underneath me and I try to move to get positioned where I can draw my bow once he comes up the hill in front of me. And a boot that's up against the metal portion of the stand squeaks, and he looks right up. So there's some of those things that, I guess maybe there's not a lesson to be learned there. They just they just happen. But you know, I keep telling myself that you know, the reason, and, it, and it, I'm telling myself this because it's true. Like there's so many little things that have to happen perfectly um, when bow hunting in order to, especially with a, like, you know, a mature buck or, or something like that, you got to be at the right place at the right time. You need some luck involved and then you got to do everything right. That leads up and so many things that can go wrong. Um, I just feel like, uh, I feel like for me over the last couple of years, I've worked very hard without a payoff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so there's, there's some frustration there and I don't know if anybody else out there is, has felt that before, but it's something that I just kind of, you know, I'm going to have to push back and just keep at it. I mean, it's going to come together at some point, but I've got to pick up on, on each of these lessons, I guess. And, uh, and then just keep trying to put it together. And so, so what, what part of the process do you feel 
uh, I don't want to say you need improvement on, but where do you feel mm-hmm. that it's not like it's kind of falling apart? Like, is there a certain stage that it just keep over and over? You just like, I can't get over this hump, you know? Right. At first that stage was getting an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't figure out how to get an opportunity. I didn't know. And I still don't know everything about how you know deer move and where they've been and where they're feeding and thinking through all that, that, that stuff. And I just getting, a deer close enough to have an opportunity and figuring out how to get to that point. And I feel like I got there maybe a couple of years ago. I got to that point and now it seems to be when I get to that point, the littlest things, like just the smallest things. And it, it, it basically in the last two, last year and this year, I've had that opportunity um, three times on a, a mature buck that I'd gotten to the point where here's my opportunity and all three times they've ended without two, two times without me even being able to take a shot. And then one time, you know, the, the, the time in Illinois that I just explained. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I've gotten over the hump and you know, that changes obviously, but I feel like I've gotten to the point now where I've put myself in positions to where I'm seeing deer and giving myself an opportunity, but I'm just not closing it out. And so, and it's a number of things. I think for me, it's just, it just, it's going to happen. I just got to, I got to think through everything a little bit better and, and kind of take my time and maybe not, I don't know, bulldoze into things. And I don't know. So I guess we'll, we'll see how it goes the next opportunity that I get. Yeah. Um, well, you know, stick with it, man. I know you will. You stay diligent and, uh, it'll all like one day it'll like the stars will just align. Um, and you never like, I, I guess, bow hunting's got a bit of a check valve like you never get worse at it i don't think as long as you continue as long as you continue to you know mind the wind scent control take care of your equipment practice that type of stuff like you never get worse at locating deer you know there's never a year where you can find them and then the next year it's like you you don't know what you're doing anymore um so honing your skills honing your ability um it's a frustrating process. And like I said earlier, it's one that we don't talk about enough. Um, you know, if, if we've put off the, um, the idea that bow hunting is glamorous or Mm -hmm. easy, uh, then I I look at that. Maybe we're doing you a disservice, (laughs) uh, because keeping, uh, not to sound cliche, but keeping it real, like talking about the downsides, I mean, that is bow hunting. Bow hunting is one long downside that is that is offset by a a big upswing every once in a while. That's what it is. Um, it's one long valley and then a huge spike. You know, in, in emotions, in um, in confidence, uh, in ability, and. Um, you know, that's, that's what, that's what keeps us hooked. That's what keeps us going back because nobody, nobody on this planet continues to do something that they're bad at for years. Nobody. So you might not feel like you're getting better at bow hunting. You might not kill six deer a year, but if you aren't progressing in some way, you wouldn't still be doing it. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, think, think of something that you were absolutely terrible at and ask yourself if you still do it. You know, nobody does. It's, I mean, it's human nature. We People don't continue to do things they're bad at. They they continue to do things that are challenging, that they want to get better at, and that they have, you know, short progressions in the right direction with. 
Um, but nobody, nobody's horrible at bow hunting and does it for 15 years and has never killed something, you know? Well, I think there, there's a class of people that are hard headed and refuse to learn from their mistakes and refuse to accept and admit their mistakes that might fall somewhere outside of that category. Sure. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate a little bit because I, I mean, I, you know, you hunt long enough and enough different situations with enough different people. There are that there is that person that just refuses. Everything is always the cosmos. You know, something's always out to get them. It's all. It's never them. Oh, the black right? cloud. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, I just you know, if this had been anybody else, that deer would have done just what he was supposed to do. Or you know, if it had been anybody else, this wouldn't have happened. Well, I you know, I mean, there there's identifiable things. I mean, in Brian's case we're talking about something that's very identifiable. He dropped his bow. He didn't check his equipment before he went back out and it happened. Right. I mean, that's very easily, but there's mm-hmm. all those small things that you're talking about, Brian, that sometimes get lost in the emotion and the adrenaline, the shuffle. And it takes us a while to actually look back and identify, well, you know, yeah, that it's kind of bad luck, but it's also kind of me, you know, um, mm-hmm. I kind of should have done that. And that kind of created the bad luck, you know, that kind of thing. There are some people that just refuse to acknowledge that it's them. Mm -hmm. It's just bad luck, you know, and, and, and those people continue to have the same or similar type of experiences over and over and over and over. Kind of feel sorry for that person. They pull along a a black cloud on a string everywhere they go. Yeah. They tow tow it behind them. Limus. They're Limus from Charlie Brown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the character that's got the rain falling around. <laughs> um, or at least in their own mind, they are that person. Yeah. Well, so, uh, Locke, what are your examples? Well, you, you tell us okay, something so, we can learn from you. So I didn't interject a whole lot, um, any commentary. So I'm going to make a few comments about what Brian said, and then I'll tell a pretty good story. Um, you know, one thing I've learned, Brian, and I'm, I'm speaking to Brian about his story, but um, I guess it's probably a, a very good thing to say. And it, I, I'm going to stay away from the cliche that we've all heard about hunting, especially about hunting a big buck and hunting with a bow. And everybody tells you, you know, once you identify, you know, this buck that you're going to shoot him, you know, stop looking at the horns, right? That's a kind of a cliche way of saying what, you know, I guess the advice or the, the, the commentary that I'm going to make about it, you know, and, and I'm not saying that you've done this, but I, I see a lot of the mistakes that I've made over the years and, and the way that I've addressed them. And there's a lot of truth in that little cliche, although I, I think it, it requires much more definition than just simply saying, don't look at his horns anymore. Um, one of the things that I've adopted as just more of a second nature than than a deliberate thing, but I recognize it as something that helps, you know, helps me make better decisions and not make as many mistakes is I really have trained myself to go into a concentrated mode. When I get to where I know I'm going to take a shot, as soon as the shot opportunity presents itself, you know, my hands on the bow and I'm, I'm waiting to draw. I go into a very concentrated mode of, of shot process. Mm -hmm. I don't think anything, I don't let my mind go to a place where I'm imagining the shot in terms of I'm imagining a kill shot. I'm imagining getting my hands on that deer. I'm imagining what the blood trail is going to be like. I'm ma- I'm not. I'm focused 100% on my bow, on myself, and on the actions of that animal, whether it's a doe or the biggest buck I've ever seen, because I, I, I just 
have learned to force myself into a mode where I cannot forget the small details because that's the only thing I'm focusing on. I have just enough wherewithal to keep my senses about me on the animal that way if he does something I'm not expecting, I can adjust to it. But other than that, I'm focused on the shot. And that it's just it just helped me so much because I have found my when I was I was fortunate. So let me say this in leading into that comment. I was I'm one of those guys that was fortunate enough that as soon as I was old enough to shoot a bow, my dad had me out in the yard shooting a bow. You know, I killed my first deer before I was old enough to drive with a bow and arrow. And I'm thirty eight. So, you know, I mean I, I I've I've been able to learn a lot of lessons as a young guy as a kid even and carry those with me a long time and i can think back on lots of deer that i just missed for you know or i missed the opportunity that i should have had because of something i did or you know any of those variables and a lot of it i can if i'm being honest i you know i was so wrapped up in the moment and i was imagining myself you know walking up on that deer and i was imagining seeing my seeing my arrow go right into the perfect spot and I was imagining all of these things that were distracting me from paying attention to the little things that were going to make me execute. Mm-hmm. And then a little thing snuck up and got me and I didn't get the shot or I didn't make the shot. Um, I've got a question for you. Uh, you say you force yourself into like a, a, a place of, of focus, you know, um, mm-hmm. determination to execute the shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, do you talk to yourself? Like, yes. do, do you, like, do you talk? I have to talk Absolutely. myself down. So what do you say? Like, what, what's your process to get yourself in that mindset? Um, I, I, I can't say that I have like this certain predetermined process that I can just lay out there for you because it's really situational dependent, you know, but, um, things that are happening in the moment really dictate that, you know, and I start telling myself, make sure I don't have a quartering two angle you know, or, um, I start looking at my bow. If I know the deer is calm enough that I, that I can take my eyes off of him and I'm not going to miss my opportunity. I start looking at my bow, making sure nothing looks funny before I'm drawing and there's nothing I can do about it. Right. Um, you know, and I, I, I start telling myself, you know, I start looking at different things in the woods, like, you know, this deer's, he's got three different, options that he's most likely going to take if he does this one i'm going to be shooting quarter and away at 35 yards if he does this one i'm going to be shooting broadhead broadside at 30 yards you know if he does this you know whatever and i'm ta- i'm you know sometimes even maybe mumbling to myself some of these things and it and, and at that point like i said it doesn't matter whether i'm trying to shoot a doe or the largest buck i've ever seen i don't i'm not paying any attention to 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 that end result i'm paying attention to what's going on and you know even things like my feet you know if i'm standing there and i know that i'm going to be taking this shot i'll go over in my head three or four different times to make sure my feet are right so i don't have to twist awkwardly so that if he makes one step one way or the other i'm not stuck with my feet and i don't have time to turn them i'm constantly moving and adjusting myself subtly to where I'm in a, I'm in line. I, I treat it like I'm standing in front. I, now I don't shoot tournament archery. So this is me imagining what this would be like. I don't know, but I, I treat it like I'm standing there taking those last couple of deep breaths before I make that last shot. That's going to win me the prize in a tournament. 
I'm talking myself through everything. There is no, in, in my mind, in that world, there is no prize of walking up on the deer at that point. There's only the shot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so those kind of things, I, I, like I said, I can't really say to you like that I have this process that I go through kind of um, a template of things that I go through every time. It, it's very situationally dependent, whatever I'm feeling. You know, if I start feeling myself get anxious about something, I talk my down, myself down off of that based on things that are applicable in that moment that keep me focused. So, um, uh, two, two things that resonate with me that I, I do also, um, I physically talk to myself. I think I've said in the past that when a deer comes, when a deer sneaks up on me within range and I'm not, I don't, I don't have bow in hand. I'm not in position to shoot yet. Uh, and it takes me by surprise. I, um, I stiffen up. Like I lock up, like my, I squeeze my shoulder blades together. I squeeze my butt cheeks, squeeze my thighs. Like I literally, I literally almost flex every muscle in my body, squeeze my, my biceps to where I'm like, my arms are shaking, not out of excitement, out of just like flexing. Fatigue. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Muscle fatigue. And, um, you know, I grip my, grind my teeth or or I'll, I'll clench my jaw, um, and that at that moment, this is a, I didn't plan on going in this direction, but it's a good way to to um, good way to kind of bring in a, a lesson here. At that moment, the animal has control of me, right then and there. The animal is in control. The animal doesn't know it's in control, but I am not in control of my body at that point in time. Um, mentally, I see it, but physically, my body is. I, I don't know if it's some unconscious, like if you stay really still, you'll look more like a tree uh, or something in my mind, but I clench up my whole body. And at that moment, the deer has control. And from that point, um, I don't go through a shot process. Like you said, like that sounds very methodical. Um, mm-hmm. I go to a place in which I need to have control back before I can take that deer's life. That's the, that is the, mental state I'm trying to return to is in which Kyler has control, not Mr. Buck. Right. And, and by the way, not to sound arrogant, but a doe doesn't get me in that state anymore. Um, I look at a doe as a very formidable opponent. Um, one that could ruin everything for me very easily, but I don't look at her necessarily as um like a holy grail like my I don't lose control like that on a doe like I like I would a buck these days, um, which sucks I gotta admit because there was a day mm-hmm. where I used to you know I guess you know eventually like you know the first time you do heroin it's probably pretty strong and then like the seven hundredth hundredth time you do heroin it's probably not as strong anymore you know what I mean like you just yeah. I don't know I've not, never done heroin but I'm just saying you know it's it's got the effects need to wear off at some point in time. So, um, I try and get back to a state in which the deer's not in control. I'm in control. Once I can literally talk myself down, sometimes I'll say like, you know, stiffening, like, you know, in, uh, in kill bill, when she's in the the truck, she just escaped the hospital and she's like, wiggle your big toe. You know, she's trying to talk herself into having bodily function back. That's kind of what I'm like. I'm like, all right, unstiffen your arms, like relax your shoulders, breathe, I'll literally say like, breathe, like take a breath and I'll feel my shoulders. I feel like they drop six inches 
you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is all, there's a radius around me in which this happens or doesn't happen. And the radius seems to be about 20 yards. And if something's beyond that 20 yard mark, 25, 30, 40 yards, I'm not like that. But if something pops up on me within like really close bow range, that's when I lock up the worst because I'm unprepared. I I never saw him or her coming and I don't have control. Like I'm, I'm not in control right now. And that's, what's exciting about it. Right. But, um, yeah, so I'm talking myself down. Um, well, I find that interesting because I guess it kind of brings to light a, a, a better answer from, from me to your original question, because it, it is one thing I do that I guess I didn't think about when you first answered the question. So I have this process and I always do it and it's somewhat of a calculated risk, but I have this mentality that I can't let that happen because I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, I've been there and I, I strive really hard not to get there um, now because I know the effects of it. And so I have this mentality or just really just a belief that if I want to do everything I can do to ensure my success or, or at least ensure my execution in the moment, I have to be comfortable. You know, I can't force myself, you know, I'm not going to stand there on that platform or force myself to be uncomfortable, um, I guess, in lieu of maybe being perfectly still or or whatever. You know, I will do what I have to do to make sure I'm comfortable because when I draw and shoot, I want to make sure I'm as comfortable and settled as I can possibly be. I guess much of the same thing that you're talking about, if I find myself in that situation and kind of like I mentioned, there's anxious, there's things where I feel a sense of anxious coming over me, I start talking myself down mm-hmm. and I'll lean against the tree. You know, when I'm standing there and I should be hand on the release, waiting on the shot, a lot of times I'll just lean back against the tree and just kind of relax my arm. And, and at that moment, I'm telling myself, when it's time, you've got to be fluid because now you're at a disadvantaged state. But I'd rather be comfortable and make the decision to move in one motion to a draw than to stand there very uncomfortable and have muscle fatigue and tightness when I'm trying to draw and shoot. Sure. That's the calculated risk I'm talking about. Um, but in, to get back around to where we were talking about, the other comment that I had to make that really isn't any kind of advice or uh, opinion or anything, it's just kind of a statement – what happened to Brian um, with your equipment situation? I can say with full confidence that will never happen to me. And, it, and it's not because I'm a good hunter or I'm a better hunter than anybody. It's because I have a complete and utter OCD about my bow and arrow from all the time. And it's not just when something weird happens in the woods and I'm freaked out that something might have got bumped. It's all the time. It's in and out of the truck. It's if I walked into my office right now, I would stand there and look at my bow on the wall and I don't know what it is, but there's something about, I have this, I worked in a bow shop and I've seen lots of things with bows and I have this mental state about me that is convinced that that thing is wound up ready to explode all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's pulled very tight. Everything is very um finely tuned to what it is 
and I am, even though I, I and, and I'll say in this moment, it's one of the reasons I shoot Hoyt because mentally I have more confidence. I've had less problems with a Hoyt than any of the other bows I've ever shot. And so not that I don't think other bows would, but just for myself, I have convinced myself that I, you know, my Hoyt is less likely to fail on me, but nevertheless, I'm still anyway. So that's just a comment. I, I listened to him and I thought, well, I can rest easy on that one because I check my bow out as much as somebody would that dropped their bow for no reason all the time. Like, it's just, when I sit in the tree, I'm constantly looking at my bow and tapping things and checking things. I'm just all the time. But anyway. Brian, what, um, what site, what site were you using? Are you using? It's a, uh, it's a trophy Ridge, uh, react. A react, one of the automatic, like, uh, auto adjusting. It's a, the, uh, it's a five pin. It's not the auto adjust one. It's a, I don't know. It's a trophy ridge. I don't know. It's a, it's like a, a $90 side. I don't have a real expensive side on my bow. Do you, do you think like a, a limb or, a, or something got lodged in there? That's how it got in the housing and bent your, your, uh, you know, I don't, you know, one of the reasons I think like when I looked at my arrows, so my arrows, the way my my quiver sits, my arrows stick out just a little bit further than than my my cam. So, in my mind, you know, thinking about this later on, but I think in my mind when I saw that, you know, just above the fletchings, that's where it snapped my arrows. Is that that bow fell kind of at an angle, but landed you know cam first in the. It's kind of like mud, like soft like leaves and mud underneath. Mm-hmm. But when it did, you know, it hit those arrows and it basically chopped them right there. And, um, and so I don't know how the site was impacted and I mean, I don't know if there's a stick or something, whenever it, it fell to the side, you know, or fell forward or whatever, whatever happened. I mean, this is in the dark that this has happened, that, it, that I actually dropped it. So I didn't, you know, see it hit the ground. I only heard it hit the ground. Um, so it, there had to have been you know, something that fell on a stick that poked through there and busted them up or something, you know, something like that had to have happened. Cause I don't know how else it would have got in the housing. Maybe it hung on something during the fall. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it could have yeah. done. Yeah, it could have. It could have hit. You, you said know, it hit a limb and knocked or, it out of your hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah, so yeah. you've got, uh, you you've got a with the the verdicts is what a grand bare bow. It's like a thousand dollars bare bow. Um, yeah. th- was that a site that you took off another bow and put on there, or did you buy that? Yeah, it's a, I took it off my new can. So, so are you gonna get? Uh, you gonna upgrade sites? And I haven't decided which side I want to stick with. And I, and I saw your comment about the, the single pin, and that's obviously a discussion that's always taken place between the multi-pin and the single pin. I shot a single pin for a while, and I just – I don't know why. I just feel more comfortable being, being able to move between, you know, my pins, um, you know, and have them uh, and just know know that this is my 40, this is my, my 15. So I'm going to stick with a, with a multi-pin. I like a five-pin, um, but I don't know exactly what side – I'm going to get. I'm actually sitting and and thinking about that right now. Any suggestions? Check out how that goes. Yeah, check out the like the spot hogs make really great sites. Bullet, pretty bulletproof sites. Yeah. Um, CBE makes a, a good multi pin, but they've got um, you know their their pins are really thin. Mm-hmm. Um, like like where the fiber is showing, it's very thin, like 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 a pin needle thin almost. Um, so. I'm just trying to think like what, I guess a hypothetical, if you had a different site, would it have fared better? 
Hey guys, Louisiana Bowhunter Shop of the Week brought to you by Tacticam. Today we're on the phone with Chip Hemphill out of Hoot and Holler Archery in Bossier City, Louisiana. Chip, thanks for joining us. You bet. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem, man. So tell me about your shop. Tell me where you're located and, and what y'all do there. Uh, it's called Hoot and Holler shop, Archery Shop. We're located in Bossier City uh, off of Barksdale Boulevard at 601. We've been in business for about 12 years now. We've kind of moved around. We have our own building. Uh, we do everything from the extreme hunter all the way through the top, top tournament shooters. Nice, nice. So I know you'll have a great indoor range there. Do you all hold leagues every once in a while? We do. We have leagues on Monday and Tuesday. We have a, We coach. also coach a junior Olympic group. Uh, we have. They have an hour slot, but they have – We. There's so many, we have five slots taken. So they Wednesday from 5 to 7, they have the range. And on Thursdays from 5 to 8, Friday is the only free day we got with nothing. That's fantastic. Now, But this, this weekend, we've kind of messed that up. So we have a Shoot Your Way Across the Bayou tournament Friday and Saturday up here also. Perfect. Yeah, here's a good plug for you. Well, um, so you've got um, some of the most unique shop hours that uh, I've ever heard of in the archery industry. Tell them what time you're open to and and what days. Well, we're open Monday through Friday from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. We're going to be rolling that back to 8. But we do something different that most of these shops won't do. Uh, The reason we're open like that is folks have to work. I mean, everybody works till 5 o'clock. Sure. At 5 o'clock, they need the place to go shoot or get their stuff, so we stay open then. But if they live more than 30 minutes from our shop, if we're here on the, if we're in town on the weekends, since we travel and shoot tournaments also, we'll meet you here anytime. That's fantastic. All you have to do is call, set an appointment, and we're in. We don't care if you're just picking a dozen arrows up. We want everybody to be able to shoot a, shoot a bow and enjoy archery. That's fantastic. And not have to worry about stuff. Well, tell me what brands, uh, what bow brands do y'all carry? Well, we have a lot. We have Hoyt, Matthews, Bowtech, and Elite. We have Diamond, Mission, and Bear. Uh, we have a few Prime in here right now, and we have closeouts on PSE nice. going right now. Very We're nice. looking at getting Excursion in. Okay, I don't think I've heard uh, they of sponsor a couple of the local uh, hunting shows we have. The way it was, which is an awesome Christian hunting show and with Lynn Beatty, Sid McCullen, Gavin Spinney. And then we have On the Road with Rock and Aaron and everybody now is shooting that excursion bow, so we we agreed we'll carry it. Very cool. I'll have to check that out next time I'm in. Well uh, Oh yeah. Anything else that you want to add before we jump off of here? Uh we just hope everybody enjoys archery. What you're doing is absolutely awesome for the sport. We're 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 trying to grow the sport as much as we can as you know by us putting tournaments on. Sure. Y'all are doing the same thing, so everybody working together, we can make this one of the best sports in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you jumping on, Chip, and uh, I hope you'll have a great season this year. Yes, sir. Thank you, and you too, buddy. All right, and now on to this week's Louisiana Bow League update. Give you the top ten scores updated since last week. In first place, Stay Stealthy with 269.5 points. Number two, Stack and Racks, 190 and three-quarter points. Three, Heart Stoppers, 190 points. Number four, Bloodline, 180 and five-eighths. Number five, Crimson Trail, 165 and a half. Number six, Trained Killers, 152 and five-eighths. 
Number seven, Bad Company, 65 points. Number eight, Button Bobby, 60 points. Number nine, Flat Creek Hunters with 50 points. And number 10, LA Lung Punchers with 50 points. Uh, moving forward, we're probably going to give you a top five now that we're starting to see a pretty good jump in scores. Um, and then eventually get into the top three every week, and we'll start naming members of each team. But if you want more information, check out Louisiana Bow League on Facebook. Um, you can find out who's on each team and start seeing what's being laid down each week. Um, this is a fun dynamic, a fun addition to the bow season. You know, we're already hunting. We're already killing animals. We might as well have fun with it as well. Y'all be good. It's a catch-22 because on a multi-pin site, the more pins you have, the more cluttered your site picture is. And one of the reasons why I shoot a single pin is because um, adjusting for yardage is automatic to me now. I don't even think about it anymore. So that argument is kind of lost on me. But um, from uh, a multi-pin site, I don't want to have options as to what I should be shoot, which pin I should be shooting right. in the heat of the moment, um, yeah. or second guessing. Oh, is he thirty? Is he forty? Is he thirty-five? Right. Do I do holdover like that? I want that right. eliminated. Um, I have been in only out of, out of over twenty-five deer I've killed. I've been only been in two situations where I did not have time to adjust my sight, and one of them right. was this year. It was a doe right after a rain. She snuck up on me. I never heard her. She was at thirty-three yards walking like from going from my 12 to my three o'clock. And I remember seeing her and about eight yards in front of her was the only window that I would have to shoot her. Mm-hmm. And my sight was at 25 yards and I held it about two and a half, three inches high on her and 10 ringed her and she died. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but that's also the, probably the biggest reason why I, I'm a speed guy. I like speed, not because I want my arrow to necessarily get there faster, but because speed equals flat trajectory right. and that's less variance. Now there's not a huge drop in distance between 25 and 33 yards. Okay. Right. But when, when you have a, uh, it, when you have a situation just like your big buck in the field, he runs from what? 43 to 53 yards. Is that what you said? Yeah. 55 yards, something like that. 53 53 yards so to me if he ran and i did not have time to adjust my sight after i know with the speed of my bow that i would need to hold about four inches high at that distance from without adjusting my sight if i kept if it was he was at 53 or 55 yards and i was set at 43 yards i would shoot four inches high i would pretty much put it about two inches from the top of his back right and let it go i i think that and this is i've made this argument before in the debate of single pin you know multi-pin which should you shoot why do you shoot to that process the fact that i am part of that process is i'm focused on i'm focused on yardage and i'm focused on pin adjustment and i'm focused i'm still focused on the shot Mm -hmm. and i I know that that's not a reason to tell somebody that's comfortable with a multi-pin sight to all Mm -hmm. of a sudden start shooting a single pin but to my point earlier that's another thing that I'm paying attention to that gets my mind off of that forward thinking that allows you to miss the small things that end up making mistakes. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a methodical process, whether it's deciding how to aim or whether it's actually physically 
you know, taking the time to adjust your sight. You're focused on yardage and you're focused on aim and you're focused on shot. You're not focused on, oh my gosh, that's the buck I've been hunting all year. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not ma- imagining myself, you know, making this shot and retrieving this deer. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not letting myself go there. I'm focused on the shot. So that, right. that to me, that has been something I've been shooting a single pin for a while now, but you know, throughout that process and transition, even years ago, that's something that I found more benefit in that part of it than I did any negative of having to do it. Cause that's the argument everyone makes is, Oh, well, when that deer comes out, um, you know, what if I don't have time to adjust my pen? Well, if you don't, my, my, my response to that has always been, if you find yourself so rushed that you can't make a good decision or you can't adjust your pen, maybe you should be thinking about whether or not you're making a good shot to begin with, because you're obviously now rushed and not going through any kind of process of, you know, focusing on your shot. You're just trying to get the arrow down range as quickly as you can. And yeah. so I don't know, just think about all yeah. that. It makes a lot of sense. But, you yeah, know. It does. I think, uh, I think for me, you know, being a, a person that's in four years bow hunting is, you know, that's not a long period of time. I'm, I'm learning lessons every day. And when that big buck comes out, you know, those are, that's new to me. You know, I've just gotten to the point last year and this year where, where I've been able to get into a position to have an opportunity on a big buck. And, you know, for me, if I'm being honest, it's a, I mean, there's a lot going on in my head. I haven't gotten to the point where I'm, where I'm, I guess, uh, experienced enough with big bucks walking in front of me to where, you know, I've gotten myself to just be able to take control of myself and, and, and get everything in line perfectly. And, and I feel like that single pin is one more thing that I've got to, to add, I guess, to the check downs that I'm trying to teach myself already. I think that might be the reason that, you know, for me, the multi pin works out better as it's just one less thing that I have to do now, two, three years from now. You know, when I've you know, put some some bucks down and and that, that I've kind of gotten better at controlling my emotion and and everything else to where, you know, those things seem doable and maybe they're doable now. And it's just in my head, you know, it, it might be something you know totally different. But I just feel like now I want the, the least amount of 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 adjustments or whatever it is, you know, possible and uh you know, and I, I, I haven't really had a problem with, you know, using the wrong pin and stuff like that. I know that's kind of the argument sometimes on the, you know, is that your, your line of sight is cluttered and, and, and it, and it is. Um, but, uh, but I think for me, like I said, it's just, it's just, I gotta, I've got to get to the point where I'm seasoned enough, you know, with that buck walking out to where it's easier for me to add something else to that, that checklist. Cause I'm, I'm getting out of the point where I'm stopping and thinking more. Like even then, you know, it's, it's 40 degrees and raining in my face and blowing at like 15 miles an hour. And, uh, and I'm literally like, even before the buck walks out, I'm shaking just because it's, it's cold and I'm wet. And now all of a sudden this is all happening. And the, the angle he's taking, you know, he's getting closer to him. He's not walking directly t- towards me. He's walking from my left to my right, but kind of towards me. And I guess, you know, the, in that situation ranging where I know where his line is, you know, it's kind of, you know, the, the thought process, you know, for me was ranging 
know, where his, his, where I thought I was going to shoot him at. And, um, anyways, and so, and it just seems like a whole lot of things to, 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 to check through. Um, and adding another thing to all of that is, is, I don't know. It's just, it makes me It nervous, goes back to being comfortable. Another, yeah. another thing that I, that I was saying for myself is you got to be comfortable. And so right. if, you know, you, you can't go against your instinct and make yourself, you know, in some way uncomfortable or unprepared. So I mean, you got to go with what you know. But okay, so we're supposed to be—I'm supposed to be telling a story about how I messed up, right? Yeah, screwed up. <laughs> so back to that. Um, so I—I—I I, I, I honestly have no earthly idea exactly when this was. I know it was probably, you know, anywhere from 12 to 14 years ago. Um, you know, I, I was old enough to know better and seasoned enough as a bow hunter to know better. But, um, I, um, I decided after a lot of debate and, and, you know, thought that I would go to a handheld thumb release and, you know, I I tried a bunch of different ones and, you know, just tinkered with it. But when I got to the point that I actually chose which release I was going to shoot, I did. It was in the middle of the season. That's the mistake one. I um in the in the middle of hunting season, I go changing something that requires quite a bit of familiarity. Uh, you know your release aid, and um, so I do that. And I guess I had enough confidence in myself to think that I could get this release and shoot it a few times that week before making a hunt that weekend, and it would be good enough. And admittedly, going into it, I I struggled with it at first, but I shot enough to get myself, you know, where I was more comfortable with it, and um, but not comfortable enough. Uh, and I can I can assume you guys probably know where this is going, except it's a little bit more dramatic than you're probably thinking right now. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm I'm hunting on the Mississippi River, in you know in the area where the rut is later after new year's and it's the week after new year's and i take a few days off work and i do a lot of things right as a hunter right you know i prepare the time i'm hunting the place i'm hunting everything and i get the perfect day where like i said it's that time of the year where the deer are really cruising following does and i've got a spot that i've stayed out of that i haven't really hunted partly because it's not a great spot to hunt you know, just on a regular pattern, it's more of a cruising area. And it's basically the ridge that runs along the bank of the Mississippi river. My back was 20 yards from the, the bluff down to the, to the actual Mississippi river channel. And, uh, but I get a perfect day and I decide I'm going to grab some lunch and I'm going to go back there and I'm going to sit on that ridge the rest of the day. Great decisions. Everything was right. You know, so I get up in the tree, it's, you know, early noon it's not even one o'clock yet and um i'm reading a book and everything happens just like it was supposed to just like i put myself in the situation like 1 30 i you know it's it's real real one of those beautiful days where it's quiet high pressure chilly cool gonna get really cold when the sun goes down not a lot of wind and it's real dry so the leaves are real crunchy i hear a deer coming and it's a doe and 
I hear deer coming behind it and it's a nice eight point and here he comes and he's coming right down the trail, right down the ridge, exactly like I envisioned it when I decided to go back there. And so I stand up and I get my bow and the doe crosses 10, 15 yards in front of me, something like that, right, right there, right under me, basically. And he's 40 yards behind her. Everything aligns. He steps into exactly where he was supposed to stops dead still broadside looking at that doe up in front of him 15 yards in front of me and i grab that hand release and i go to draw back and everything just goes haywire so in my mind so this is so basically what happened is i squeezed the release i was you know when i went to draw i squeezed the release which included the trigger and i i released at mid draw and is what actually happened but from my perspective what happened was halfway through my draw cycle my bow exploded in my hand and something hit me in the face and i'm lucky i haven't fallen out of the tree because i'm i'm found myself my bow's hanging back on the well like when i kind of came to i never i don't mean to say that i blacked out i didn't but how it all happened i might as well have blacked out because i i came to my senses so to speak my bow was hanging back on the hanger and I was sitting in the seat of my climbing stand and there was blood all over my chest and all down my face. Oh, and I had man. no freaking idea what happened. Oh, I don't man. know where the, I don't know where the arrow went. I don't know anything. I'm like, and, and my eyes are watering, you know, and I'm like, my bow just blew up and hit me in the face is what I think <laughs> happened. And I look up at my bow and it's hanging there. And it's like, it's fine. And I'm, I look down and the freaking deer is still standing there. And, and I'm like, what in the hell just happened? You know, cause I'm fully expecting to look and see my bow on the ground or wherever, like blown up. But basically what happened, you know, like I said, mid draw, I I'm squeezing on that release cause I'm not used to drawing with it. I'm used to drawing with a wrist strap where you just grab a hold of it and pull the bow back. Right. You know, and then, and then mm-hmm. get anchored. And so I go through that same process, but I'm holding a handheld release and I gripped thumb and all, and I grabbed the trigger. And when I got about half pressure, it went off and I punched myself in the nose. Mm. It come off the string and I hit myself in the face because the deer's right there. And I'm trying to draw straight back, you know, straight back to my anchor. And I punched myself in the face, bloodied my nose. And you know how that goes when you get hit in the nose, your eyes water and, you know, it just, mm-hmm. it stuns you. It's basically what happened. And, uh, you know, long story short, I knocked another air and killed the deer, but did you? <laughs> you did. And I never, I have no idea where the first arrow went. No oh, clue. Oh <laughs> man, that's an awesome ending. I did not that, expect that. That the deer was so like, basically the best I can figure, because once I kind of came to my senses, I mean, of course all this happened a lot faster than I'm sure, telling the sure, story. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I gathered myself pretty quickly and knocked an arrow and, and shot him, but you know, I'm what I what I figured out as I came to my senses was the doe saw me and knew what was going on. So she but she had moved on and she was like 50 yards to my left. And so she was far enough away from me that she was doing that whole stand there and bob her head and stomp and look at me. Mm-hmm. Well, he was so much in love that she <laughs> wasn't moving. So he was just standing there waiting on her to move again and he was going to keep following her. He was paying me no attention. He was focused on her. I don't think he ever took his eyes off her. He never looked up at me, anything. And she, and I, and so at that point, all I could think was, 
I've got to just get an arrow knocked and shooting before she runs off because she knows she already sees me. So it doesn't matter how much I move at this point. I've got to get this done before she decides to take off. Cause she's, you know, on the verge of, she's either fixing to stand there and blow or she's fixing to run off and either one's going to take my, That's my awesome, very lucky man. second chance away. But you know, moral of that story is a don't make that kind of, I mean, a release aid's a big deal. Don't make that kind of drastic change mid-season or at least unless you're if you're doing it mid-season do it at a time where you're not planning to hunt anytime soon and you've got a week or so to to really get comfortable with it um and and then b i guess it's really more of the same thing don't don't tell yourself well i've been struggling here for three days but today my practice session went pretty good so i'll be okay Mm -hmm. because it's just not enough when it comes to something that critical to executing the shot it's just not enough I, I think the, I know some I know some people that hunt with a uh, a back tension. Um, yeah, I, I think that's crazy. I think they're psychotic. I think it's I I'm not I still don't necessarily understand the point of it. Uh, I don't either because there's not enough there's there's not enough control in all of these things that we're talking about. You know, from from Brian's story to my story to our comments about those things. I, you know, look if a back tension is really 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 <clears throat> accurate and you're in a controlled environment on a target range, then that's fine. But I don't, you know, like you said, we're constantly learning. We're constantly trying to get less bad at bow hunting. And part of that is because there are so many uncontrollables that Mm -hmm. are inevitably going to happen every time you encounter a situation where you're trying to to shoot a deer with a bow and arrow. And so to, 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 you know, to the, to your point or to at least how you're expressing I have the same, like, why would you do that? Because I don't care how good you are with it. There's, there's too much that you can't control on any given hunt to, to take that risk. Well, like, I, I, I feel like if you, I mean, if you're a, a pilot, do CrossFit and shoot a back tension while hunting, like which one do you tell people about first? You know, <laughs> it's gotta be, it's gotta be, it's a hard choice. Like, am I going to well, go with Well, you CrossFit probably today? tell them about you probably tell them about your traditional hunting first. Oh yeah, tradition. Yeah, I shot. Yeah, and the trad yeah, bow. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, year. Oh, we got to go there first. The year of the trad bow. That's right, man. That's a good comeback. I like that. <laughs> so, so let me go. Let me tell you my story because mine's fairly fresh, and I'm kind of excited to tell this one because freaking moron. Um, I've never had any gear failures, uh, like like you know, mechanical failures or uh, a bow explode or something. I do have this fear every single time I take my arrow out of my quiver. I'm like, don't cut your string. Don't cut your string. Don't (laughs) cut your string. You know, I just have this fear that I'm going to slice that string and everything's going to pop. But, um, mine has more to do with, um, I guess location and, uh, lack of knowing where you are I got lost I got very lost um and just like Brian's deer story it all led back it was a very linear path back to the root problem and I got lost for a similar reason this this year a few weeks ago that doe that I shot 33 yards shooter get a pass through arrow goes a little farther past where she was. I wasn't very high on the tree 
And so it was a flatter trajectory. Like it, it wasn't angled down. It's not like the arrow stuck in the ground right behind her. It hit something and it kind of skipped like maybe another 15 yards past her. Okay. And um, she runs off and dies. It gets dark. I climbed down. Bring my, I was in a climber. Um, put my backpack, my bow down. Um, and uh, I leave my stand in my um, backpack at the tree go find the arrow got good blood on it and um, deer ran off like a, a maybe 50 yards past that um, let me back up very slightly before I walked in I parked my truck in a field along the edge of the woods um, and right next to the edge of the woods there's a creek and you needed to cross it was like a small beaver dam to cross and on my way into the spot I walked about only like 400 yards in the woods not very far on the right, my whole way in, on the right, is a bayou. So logically, on my way out, the bayou be on the left. I go get the deer, I hook my lineman's rope around her neck, drag her back to the truck. Get back to the truck, check my phone, realize I only have 1% battery left. Put my keys in my truck, put it on, not even cranked, but just on, charging my phone, go back to get my stand and my, uh, my backpack. Make it back to where I had my stand in my backpack, no problem. Like could have found it, could have found it um, blindfolded. This is a small piece of property that I have access to hunt. It's about eighty acres. It's semi-rural, semi-res—not residential, but semi-rural. It's kind of country, but on the outskirts of a city. And um, this is my first time hunting there, and. I got my backpack, got my stand on my back. Let me go get my arrow and carry, and put it back in my quiver, and I'll head out. Go and find the arrow, which is about, like I said, let's just say 50 yards from where my stand was at, like, my 1 o'clock. Find it. Take a right to what I think is the direction I should be going back in my truck. Get slightly disoriented. Just slightly. Like, I'm pretty positive, like, I need to go this way. I come up on a bayou. And um, it is a little further than I expected it to be. It's like 100 yards, which I thought I was only about 75 yards. And I was like, oh, this is, okay. Got off of it a little bit. It's on my left, which makes sense because the bayou was on my right when I walked in. So, naturally, it would be on my left on the way out. I walk. And I walk, and I walk, and I start seeing twists and turns in this bayou. I start seeing um, roseau cane, uh, or um, river cane that's up over my head. I start seeing stuff I'd never seen on my way in, and I'm like, this isn't right. What's going on here? And long story short, where my truck was parked was um, about 200 yards past it was an animal hospital. And the animal hospital had dog kennels in the back. And the dog kennels had dogs that were barking, maybe like three of them. So I hear barking dogs, and I heard on my whole hunt, and you like that's the animal hospital. It's that way. So I get deeper in the woods. I don't really hear them that much anymore. And then I start hearing dogs bark, and it's in a totally different direction than where I'm walking. And I'm like, well, it's got to be the animal hospital. Maybe I got turned around. Mind you, I don't have my phone. I don't have anything. Everything's in the truck. Um, and, uh, so I start walking towards barking dogs. It's taking me back 
to like the bayou's on my right again, which I'm like, this isn't right because I, it was on my right walking in. It should be on my left walking out. What's going on here? Blah, blah, blah. Long story short, I followed those barking dogs to a street light that was in the back of somebody's backyard. Um, pop out like not in their backyard, but kind of in this little neighborhood. It was not a nice place. Very impoverished. Uh, we'll just be very trailer parkish, but that might be giving it too much credit. Okay. Um, I felt a little bit like, um, the guy in training day when he's walking through the ghetto Okay, after he's gotten, after they, <laughs> <laughs> what's his name, Ethan, uh, Ethan Hawk, yeah, he's, yeah. he's walking through the ghetto in training day, right, it's, I felt like, like that, like, here I am, like, full camouflage, bow, deer stand, really bad neighborhood, and, um, and so, I, I, like, I hear road noise, I was like, well, that must be, like, the road where my truck's parked at, no, it's not, I, I walk out, and I literally had to flag somebody down, and, and ask them, where am I? I have no idea where I am. Okay. <laughs> I load up, I swear to God, I load up in the back of his truck. He takes me back to my truck. He's like, how you ended up over here from where you were is beyond me. Okay. <laughs> what happened was I hadn't done a whole lot of research on this property. There was a second bayou past the first one, and I had run into that one. And when I followed it to the left on my way out, it was bringing me away from my truck versus towards wow. it. And I didn't have my phone. I was using dogs barking as a point of reference, which was stupid in hindsight. But um, I never lost my cool. I kept asking myself, like, how did this happen over and over again? In fact, my only concern originally was that my flashlight was going to die. My headlamp was going to die. Because if my headlamp died, I'm like, well, I'm sleeping out here. Right. Um, and then I, you know, talk about preparedness. Um, I, 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 uh, years and years ago, right where my right chest, like my right peck is on my harness, I have a piece of paracord tied and I have a very tiny triple A powered one battery streamlight. It's a backup flashlight and I don't have enough fingers and toes to count the times that I've depended on that. I do not like that. I almost wouldn't even go hunting without it. Like I can't go fishing without sunglasses. I won't go hunting without my safety harness or that backup flashlight because it saved my ass so many times and my headlamp died. I was using my backup flashlight and that's when I got out and I found the road. So long story short, as the crow flies, I had only walked like 600 yards through like totally through the property to the far other side, never even been over there. But from a car trip, it was like a full mile to get by road to get back to where my truck was. Um, and you want to talk about feeling foolish and feeling stupid. Do you want to know the first thing that I did when I got home was I went on Amazon and I bought like a $4.99 compass. And I'm like, why the hell did you not have this to begin with? You know, a $5 compass could have saved me all that time because it was like two hours you know by the time i got back to my truck and got home um but listen i'm i'm a guy i'll walk on a public land with no headlamp barely following a phone right but i went 400 yards in the woods i got slightly off course 
And then I started feeding myself bad information with a second bayou and dog noises. And I started second guessing what I, what I thought I knew as far as direction goes. Cause when you, when it's just you and a, and a headlamp light lighting up the woods, everything looks like it's East, <laughs> yeah. you, you know? Um, and yeah. so I'm not too good to admit that I got lost. Um, especially since I learned a lesson from it. Um, but, uh, it was embarrassing and, uh, I don't want to say scary. I, I don't think I ever got scared, but, but I was like, you know, this doesn't make a lot of sense right now. Why isn't this bringing me back to where I'm familiar with? And it was because there was a second bayou, like another hundred yards in. Um, so plot twist, but, um, a couple of, a couple of, you know, small things, not necessarily related to a story, um, or an experience, but, you know, just as a good habit, you should always have everything you need in one spot. Um, you should have your bag ready to go. Even if you aren't going hunting tomorrow, you should come back from a hunt and get it ready for your next hunt. Um, for example, uh, this morning I went hunting and I drank all my water on Sunday. Today's Monday and I didn't have any water. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm like a camel. I need water. And so that was stupid. So I get back, I'm going to fill up my water bottle as soon as I get back to the, to the house. Um, another thing, hang your safety harness at the same place you hang your clothes. I've forgotten my safety harness twice this year. This is a really off year for me, I feel, because, a lot of my hunts are um, unexpected or like last minute. I'm not, I'm not like, hey, I'm gonna make a hunt in the morning. It's like, oh, I can't sleep. It's four thirty. I wake up. Oh, I have a good wind. Let's go, you know. Um, and so I've got stuff scattered all over, and uh, it's not. It doesn't feel. I don't feel good, you know. I, I don't. I don't feel confident about that. Um, but uh, you know, we talked about a backup pull up rope. Um, it's good to have even like a thermosel. Um, keeping a spare, uh, a spare, um, blue pad and the butane cartridges, um, you know, make sure that's always, uh, maybe make sure that's always full and ready to go. Um, one thing that I used to leave a lot was my lineman's belt. And then I tied two pieces of paracord, um, to the ends, right where the limb pockets are. And I clip my carabiners into that, and that's how I carry my bow now. So my lineman's belt is always on my bow. My release is always on my quiver. They never get separated, ever. And so you just kind of, I guess you could say, you just make it idiot-proof. Make it to where you can't screw anything up, um, and you won't get in your own way, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the, the lesson of the day for me, especially. Because I, I, even in like a, I think about, you know, you know what business that I'm in, but like everything's constantly moving and so chaotic and, and just calls coming in everything. I feel like maybe, uh, sometimes I've got to slow down mm-hmm. and, um, and, and I don't know, like you think that you're getting a lot more done than you're actually getting done because if you just slowed down and, and been more prepared, things would have happened a lot more smoother and you'd actually had better results or, you know, I feel like, you know, that's, what's happening with me and hunting maybe is an extension of just what happens to me sometimes in life when I get moving too quick. Sure. I just need to slow it down and pay more attention. 
Absolutely. That's a good that's a good way to end it right there. Man, nothing nothing good really happens in a rush. You know what I mean? Right. From from your like you said, from preparing yourself for the next hunt all the way to preparing yourself to draw back and make the shot. Right. If you make as much attempt or every attempt if you should you know, should say it that way, every attempt that you can make to slow things down and be relaxed you know, the better off you're going to be because uh, nothing good happens in a rush. Yeah. Well, um, I think that's a a good place to end it, guys. I think uh, hopefully some people can learn from our our mistakes. Um, I think, uh, you know, not to get too emotional, I think it's going to help us grow by admitting that we screwed up. Um, Some things, some lessons can only be learned through hard, hard lessons. You know, that's bow hunting 101 right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, look, Brian, I appreciate you hopping on with us tonight, telling us your story. Um, maybe we'll have you on again after you've, uh, you've killed the buck of a lifetime and everything went exactly how it was supposed to. I'd I'd like that. (laughs) So, all right, man. Redemption. uh, Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Locke, thanks for, uh, for doing this so late tonight, but I appreciate it. Yep. Yep. Thank you. No problem. All right. See y'all later. All right. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.